Thank you, Dan and team. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this morning is our um, last sermon on a series of ten, God and Our Greatest Fears. As I was doing this study, um, it's obvious that we live in a world where there's a lot of sophisticated people. What I mean by sophisticated people is if you look at the news, there's always the scientific discoveries that, that we have found. We've discovered something new. We found something new. We've come up with something absolutely amazing. And we've also very sophisticated on our psychological understanding of how the human mind works, um, how the human mind develops, and uh, how um, our emotions um, take place. We understand a lot more about ourselves than we did years ago. Now, we've always had a, um, an understanding of how we work, but the more we study, the more data we come up with, and the more research that has taken place, we understand even more. This series has been based on um, our greatest fears. Um, our greatest fears, where did we get our greatest fears? The place where we found out our greatest fears is, is I just I went to the, um, an internet and I found an article that did some research and some data on people's greatest fears. It was a secular article, and it was not anything about the Bible at all. In fact, if you read the whole article, you'd be kind of like, well, where's God in this? There was no God in the article, um, but they did data. They studied the human body. They studied the human mind, and they came up with enough research to say, these are our greatest fears. So as, we looked at that, or as I looked at that article, I said, well, what does God say about those fears? If these are the human being's greatest fears, what would God say about those fears. We're just going to look at all the fears today. We're going to say, what does God say about those fears? One of the amazing things that come up with during this study is that God has a lot to say all the way through the Bible in regards to the fears, but all the fears are developed in one chapter. In one chapter in the Bible, all the fears are developed. Another chapter in the Bible, all the fears can be washed away. One chapter that developed. One chapter, they can all be washed away. Now, are you surprised by this? I'm not surprised by this because I believe that every psychological study, every scientific study, whenever you study and do that correct research, it always comes back to point to the Bible. As the Bible mentions, every behavior, every emotion, every scientific discovery is the base. The Bible is the base. And every data does nothing more than solidify that the Bible is real. And in the study of the greatest fears, two chapters, when they're developed and when they can be healed. Let's look at this. Fear of losing your freedom. Where's a chapter when this is developed? Chapter 3 in Genesis, what do you see? Adam and Eve fall. God gave them instructions. They disobeyed the instructions. They ate the fruit. And as soon as they ate the fruit, it seems like this is when the fears started to come. This is when the fears were developed. Genesis 3, 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. See, originally God created mankind to rule the world. But today, the Man is not ruling the world. The world is ruling the man. It's turned on him. And what's taking place? Cursed is the ground because of what I've done. It produces thorns. It produces thistles. That's just a start of us being ruled by the world. We are ruled by greed, sex. We're ruled by lust. We're ruled by anger. And we're starving for what? 
freedom. Now, if we're starving for freedom, human beings starving for freedom, of course Satan is going to say, hey, I've got, some, I've got some tools for you. One of Satan's greatest tools is to alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs. What does that do? It takes your mind away from the world, and you have nothing but freedom during the process of being intoxicated. But what do you do in the morning? You wake up. And everybody would agree that we are slaves to the hunger for freedom. This is where our fear of freedom is developed. Continue to go down. Fear of the unknown. Of course, it comes from the same chapter, Genesis 3:24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. See what happens is next to God, things are predictable. We know that because when we read the Bible and we obey the Bible, it almost seems like there's a comfort around when we don't lie, when we don't steal, when we don't cheat. Life can be more predictable, more strong. But when we step away from God, what takes place? We're stepping into an unknown world. When Adam and Eve fell, they were cast out of the garden into an unknown world where we do not know what's going to take place tomorrow. In the midst of a sinful world, a corrupt world, we have no idea what's going to take place tomorrow. Therefore, deep inside the human hardware, we have this fear of the unknown, a fear of what is going to happen. And we love to control it, but we all know that we can't. Fear of disappointment. Where did we get that? When Adam and Eve took the fruit. Who did they disappoint? They disappointed God, and he, they felt it. Genesis 3.10, I was afraid because I was naked. Therefore, I did what? I hid. It is deep into our system that we are afraid of disappointing God, and we are afraid of disappointing each other. So what do we do? We don't want anybody to know us. We don't tell our hearts. We don't tell people our minds. We don't tell people our sins. And, and church is the, the best place that we don't tell anybody. We walk around. We're completely perfect because if people knew who I really was, then they would not love me. They would not care for me. They would see me and they'd be very disappointed. That fear of disappointment pulls us in. Where do we get it? The same place in Genesis when they disappointed God stepping away from him. They pulled back. I am naked and I don't want anybody to see me because if they do, they will be, um, they will be disappointed with me. Fear of loneliness. What took place in the garden is that um, all relationships were shattered. Our relationship with God was shattered. Our relationship with creation was shattered. Our relationship with each other was shattered. Genesis 3, 9, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? Where are you? You see the separation that has taken place? A separation that is inside our hardware that we do not want to be alone because when Adam and Eve were walking in the midst of the garden with God, there was a peace that beyond all understanding. But when sin took place, there seems like there, was a set, there is a separation. And therefore, we are prone to loneliness. Not only loneliness from God, but also loneliness from each other as the um, as that uh, relationships have shattered as well. Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. A separation from each other. Therefore, we are extremely prone to loneliness. Fear of pain. Where do we get the fear of pain? 
You're not going to find it in any other book of why pain exists except the Bible. And where do we find it? Of course, in Genesis 3. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Genesis 3:17. through painful toil. Painful toil as long as we live on this earth. Fear of misery. Why do we have the fear of misery? Sin brought the fear of misery into the world as well. Genesis 3:17. through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and it will produce thistles by the sweat of your brow. Misery is not only pain, it is pain on the outside that has touched the inside. Depression and oppression as a result of what has taken place on the outside. Fear of rejection. Why do we afraid of rejection? Maybe this verse here, Genesis 3:23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden, cast him out from the Garden of Eden as a result of the sin. Fear of death. Would that be mentioned in Genesis 3? All these fears are developed. Our emotions are being established as a result of this one chapter. Would the fear of death be mentioned? Genesis 3:19. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Fear of failure. Remember why Adam and Eve were tempted and how they were tempted? Satan looked at them and says, Do you want to be like God? Well, if you're like God, you would be very what? Very, very successful. Do you want success? Do you want to make yourself extremely wise? You see the temptation? I can be successful. I can accomplish much. I can be powerful, more powerful than I am, more beautiful than I am. But of course, what took place when they ate it? When they ate it, it was not a sign of success. It was a sign of failure. Because who's in control? Satan or God. Stepped away, embraced Satan rather than God. Huge sign of failure. Genesis three twelve. She gave me some fruit from the tree. And what did they do? They ate it. Genesis 3, 13, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. The greatest piece of failure that has ever happened in this world is right here in Genesis 3. And as it took place, it went into the hardware of our emotions, the hardware of our being. So as a result of the study, secular study, coming up with the greatest fears, and as a result of God speaking into the greatest fears, because all studies that are correct point back to God, what do we come to the conclusion of? Number one, we fear because we are a broken people. It's not the affliction that is on the outside that makes us fear. It is the sin that is on the inside that creates the fear. What happens is we like to control our world, and as long as we can control our world, we think that fear will be done away with. But that is not the case. But yet we still struggle to control our world. What I mean by that is it's easy to see our behavior, and it's easy to see our actions. When I was raising my children, one of the big arguments that we had is, I do not want them to lie. So no matter what took place, even if they messed up, did something wrong, I was going to discipline them. The focus was, I want you to tell me the truth. And if they did not tell me the truth, that's when the discipline really came. Lie, black and white. 
Are you a liar or are you not a liar? We're able to see that. I don't want you to steal. I don't want you to cheat. I do not want you to commit adultery. What we do is we see behaviors that take place. We can monitor the behaviors, and we can measure the behaviors. Did you do it or did you not? But one thing is very, very difficult to manage, monitor, heal, and help is our emotions. Because it's not black and white. You cannot measure them. You cannot say, well, if you're sad, get over it. There's not a pill that you get to take that if you're sad, we'll just make you happy. There's not an instruction that you can give to pull somebody who is depressed to all of a sudden be, okay, I'm not depressed anymore. If you say, don't lie, at least it's black and white, but if you're talking about emotions, it's a little more difficult. Don't be angry. Just stop being angry. Control that emotions. Does that help? There was a time that we went rafting down the Deschutes River, and uh, it's a four-day rafting trip where we put all of our gear on our boat, and then we spend four days in the canyon of the river. And it was my youngest daughter's first time going down the river. She was three years old. I know that you'd probably say, well, that's too young. I would agree with you now. But I didn't agree with you then, thinking, oh, my daughter, she will love it. Sure enough, we were camping. And as we were camping, we got into a windstorm. And the windstorm is is completely quiet and all of us completely flat, no wind at all. But then you hear a whistle coming down the canyon. And when the whistle comes down the canyon, you know it's going to hit you. So you hear the whistle, and it gets louder and louder and louder, and then all of a sudden it hits the camp. Everything just flies. And, of course, when it hit, our tent was standing up. Our tent almost went flat, started pushing it into the river, and my three-year-old daughter was screaming because her blanket was in the tent. And she cried out, don't let my blankie fly into the river. And she was screaming, screaming, screaming. Now, I know fact that her blankie was not going to fly into the river. So me, helping my daughter, looked at her and said, knock it off. It won't fly into the river. It did not calm her fear. It did not calm her emotions. How do you calm her emotions? How do you get her calmed down? How do you get her quiet? Well, I know that's an illustration with a young child, yet it comes with all of us. We're sad. How do we get somebody that is emotionally sad to, what, be fixed? How do we get somebody who is emotionally depressed, get over it? How do we get somebody who is extremely angry? How do we heal that emotion of anger? Behavior is a lot easier than dealing with emotion. Of course, I went to psychology today, because remember, all good research will always point back to the Bible if you see the Bible inside the psychology. Well, this is what they gave us. If you want to heal your emotions, step number one, shift your attention and focus elsewhere. If you are looking at something, look at something else. During my three-year-old daughter, when she was afraid, that's what I tried to do. Just look at the good things. Look at the, it's going to be okay. Shift the focus, and by shifting the focus, your emotions will, will change, according to psychology today. Number two is change your thoughts. Something called cognitive appraisal. It's replace your thoughts that lead to unhappiness with thoughts of happiness. So as your mind is going one direction, it has to turn and be replaced with something else. And then number three, according to psychology today, is change your response. 
Change your position. If you're in a chaotic place, isolate yourself to a quiet place. Bow your head and close your eyes into a quiet place rather than be into inside of the hostile place. So that's psychology answers today on how to heal our emotions and to calm our emotions. Um, the Bible is much more simple. It gives us one statement of how to calm our emotions and how to heal our emotions. One drive that will take care of your emotions if you're struggling as depression, to struggle with anger, to struggle with any emotions that are dominating you. And that is, be entirely convinced of the truth. Be entirely convinced of the truth. As the tent was blowing over, I looked at Maya and said, I know the truth. If I could convince her of the truth, she would go, okay, I understand. I couldn't convince her. She was three years old. But if I could, that her blankie was going to be safe, she would say, it's okay. My mother-in-law went on hospice last week. As she went on hospice last week, there's, doctor said, days to weeks before she passes away. As we were having conversations in our, our front room, she has conversations like, I don't think I need to apologize to anybody. She says, you know, I'm at peace with this. The doctor came and visited her, and when he left, her comment to, his, her comment to him was, I will see you in heaven, <laughs> because she was a Christian. There is a peace. Why would there be a peace on anybody who is sitting at their deathbed? Would it be convinced of the truth that she's really not going to die, but that the day she does is the day she sees the Lord? Is she convinced of the truth that when she dies in this earth, it's nothing more than opening your eyes to an eternity with God? If you're convinced of the truth in that situation, does it change your emotions? Let's go to another emotion. Let's just say anger. If anger is an emotion that is ruling you and dominating you, how do you fix it? The only way to fix it is to be convinced of the truth. If you are convinced of the truth of the damage that is doing to your relationship with your wife and your family and your children, and if you are convinced of that truth, when you are anger, angry and you see it clearly, that emotion is going to be, oh, i got to pull back. i got to pull back. If you're convinced of the truth, if you see the damage that it does to your children, in other words, if your children start to spur out anger at you, you wonder, well, where do they get that? but you're convinced of the truth that they probably got it from me, then that emotion is going to start to be tackled by you alone. Convicted of the destruction. You see, the only way that we can overcome emotion is to be completely convinced of the truth. We're talking about this emotion of fear. Now, fear just comes up and it riles inside. As fear comes up and riles inside, how do you get rid of it in all the different areas? How do you get rid of it? This is what I would encourage you to do. Be convinced of what truth? Number two, God took upon himself all that we fear so we can find peace with him. If you are living in fear, be convinced of this truth. God took upon himself all that we fear so we can find peace with him. Now, God is not preaching a sermon. Jesus did not just preach a sermon and said, fear not. 
What Jesus has done is Jesus said, what I will do is I will take upon all your fear upon my shoulders. And as I take upon all your fear upon my shoulders, there will be a display for you to be convinced of that this is the answer of the healing of your fear. This is the answer of the healing of your fear. And what is that display? Of course, it is the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 gives us the solution that we need to be convinced of if fear is going to be cast out of our life. Now during this passage, I'm going to read the passage, and it's also in your notes. Look and see what Jesus went through. And when Jesus went through it, I even wrote it down there, ten fears are mentioned in the first three verses that we overcome. Remember, data came up with these fears. This is what the Bible is speaking of these fears, and this is the solution. Let's read it. Isaiah 53, Jesus grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Was Jesus disappointing to us? Was Jesus disappointing to the Pharisees? Did Jesus come and was he just powerful and beautiful and strong and everybody wanted him? For this passage, it was a disappointment to some. Jesus was despised, ridiculed, and rejected. Fear of rejection. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from men who hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely Jesus took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And he was assigned the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I want to go back to the article of psychology today. Number one, they said if you want to heal your fears, you need to shift your attention and shift your focus elsewhere. They didn't complete the article. They didn't tell us where to shift our attention and where to shift our focus. You see, the answer of, of truth is that we got to hold on to that and all of our focus and attention should be shifted to something, not to something that we just choose because you will not be healed. Shift your focus to this passage of what Christ has done to us. I'm not dying because he's given me life. I am not disappointed because he loves me. I'm not alone because God will never leave me. I am not rejected because God will never be rejected by God. You see, this passage alone shows us how God is embracing us. I will take upon all your fears so you can be healed. Therefore, as we shift our attention, shift it to what? The truth of the cross. Number two, according to Psychology Today, change your thoughts. In the article, they never told you where to change your thoughts to. Remember, there's study in the human being that if we're going to come overcome emotions, we have to change our thoughts. But the Bible says, of course you have to change your thoughts. Change your thoughts here, out of your situation, to here. I'm in pain, 
but how much pain did God suffer for me? I'm in pain, but one day all pain, tears, and mourning will be gone. I am miserable, but how much misery did he take upon himself so I can have an eternity without misery? I am being ridiculed by the world, but I'll never be ridiculed by my God. Third response to psychology today is is to change your response, change your situation. Move away from the noisy and get into the quiet and shut your mind out. Maybe fold your hands, close your eyes, but they don't tell you where to shut your mind to. Fold your hands, close your eyes, develop into prayer. What you're doing again is you're pulling the cross back into your life. When you pull the cross back into your life, this is the only antidote, the only cure, if you want to wipe away the emotions, your emotions that are dominating you. Remember how to cure emotions? We have to be convinced of the truth. Isaiah 53, if we were convinced that Jesus did this for us, completely convinced that he did this for us, we would change and fear would be gone. Number three, the only way to overcome fear is to fear the Lord. We can ask the question, who's in charge? Um, John, one of the apostles, had a vision. In Revelation, that vision is recorded. And uh, when he had this vision, there's a place where he stood in front of God, and I just want to read that passage. Revelation 1.16. Revelation 1.16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When John saw him, I fell at my feet as though if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first, and I am the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and eternity. When John saw God, he fell down as a dead man, consumed with fear. But as he fell down as a dead man, consumed as fear, what took place? God's response to him, I am in charge. Your life and your eternity is in my hands. I am in control of you. But then what does Jesus say when he says that? Remember the cross. I was dead, but then I am now alive. You see, what's taken place is that John lived a life of what? Fear, maybe dependence. But when he stood in front of God, he found the one that he was living for. It scared him half to death, went down. But then you see the embrace of God. I'm the one that's in charge, and don't ever forget that I died, and then embraced him. You see an intense piece of fear, but then you see a calming of fear. Why? Because he understood that God was in control completely and entirely. When you see God, what are you going to say to him? What is going to be your response? It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? I just want to give you a fast story in closing. There was a, a homeless person that was on the streets, and this homeless person has been there for years. And as he's been there for years, he did not shower for what it almost looked like years. He had clothes that he worn, and his clothes were all torn up and, and, uh, and beat up, and dirt and crusties were around his eyes 
and he looked very, very rough. As he looked very, very rough, an artist walked by and noticed him. This person was a professional artist, a professional painter, and he walked up to this homeless guy, and he said to the homeless guy, he says, I want to paint you. I want to, 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 you to come to my, my, um, come to my studio. And when you come to my studio, I want to paint you. And he says, I want to tell you another thing, is I'm a professional artist. And if I paint you, I can guarantee that it, you will make enough money. I'll give you a portion of it. And you'll make enough money that for the rest of your life, you'll never be homeless again. Come there tomorrow at 1 o'clock. The artist then left to his studio. And as he left, the homeless man got a big smile on his face and said, finally, I found the answer where I can be off the street for the rest of my life. I finally found an answer that has saved me. I finally found an answer where I can be redeemed. Tomorrow is the big day. So he got up, and he ran down to the creek, and he washed his face, and he shaved his beard, and he gave himself a haircut, and he even went down and tried to change some clothes to get himself all cleaned up for the big day. Sure enough, he comes to the studio at 1 o'clock and knocks on the door. Artist opens the door and looks at him and says, What have you done? I needed you to come as you were. And the artist said, You aren't worth anything to me anymore. We often think of God... I'm going to stand in front of him. And when I stand in front of him, it is going to be as scary as you could possibly be because he will see all my sins. He will see all my failures. He will see everything that he has done in my past. And he is going to be so disappointed with me. He is going to reject me. It's not the way God works. Isaiah 53 was written to say, I am in control and I have done everything for you and there is nothing you can do to get into my heaven. Therefore, stand in front of me as you are, not as what you think that you could be, and be embraced in my love. You see what kind of God we worship? We worship a God that says, fear me. Because if you fear him, all other fears will disappear. But as you fear him, he does nothing but receive you wash you clean. And all the fears that we have inside from rejection, from disappointment, from the fear of the unknown, from the fear all the way through of pain, of misery, all those fears will be washed away at the sight of Christ when we die. But can they be washed away now? Remember how to control our emotions? Be entirely convinced of the truth. The challenge would be to be entirely convinced of that truth. Psalms 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Why? Because the fear of the Lord will wash away all other fears. And when we fear him, we are in his arms, not death's arms. His arms, not disappointment's arms. Nobody else's arms but him. Challenge I just want to give you is that if you do not know Christ, he is your answer. He is your answer to life, and to salvation. If you do know Christ, if you want to keep your emotions intact, meditate on what he has done for you. Continue to meditate on that cross. Father, we just thank you again for the gift that you have given us. God, you could have left us out there. 
with discouragement. You could have left us out here with the unknown, with um, loss, with failure, with disappointment. But God, you have chosen not to do that. You have chosen to come instead and die in our place and raise again so we can worship a God who is living. Thank you, God, for that gift. And God, I just pray that as a church and as a people that we don't um, forget it, that we do not let it leave our mind, but our decisions are determined by it, our actions and behavior are moved by it, and our emotions are consumed with that, that truth. Thank you, God, for it. In Christ's name, amen.